Chapter 4 The Year of Obscurity The records of the first year of the ministry of Jesus that we possess are extremely limited, comprising only two or three incidents that can be listed here, especially as they form a kind of program of his future work. When Jesus emerged from the wilderness after the forty days of temptation, with his grasp of his future plan tightened by that dreadful struggle, along with the inspiration of his baptism still filling his heart, he appeared once more on the bank of the Jordan River, and John the Baptist pointed him out as the great successor to himself of whom he had often spoken. He especially introduced him to some of the best of his own disciples, who immediately became his followers. John 1, 35-42 Probably the very first of these to whom Jesus spoke was John, the man who was later to be his favorite disciple, and who would give to the world the most marvelous portrait of his character and life. John the Evangelist has left an account of this first meeting and the interview that followed it which retains in all its freshness the impression that Christ's majesty and purity made on his receptive mind. The other young men who attached themselves to him at the same time were Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. They had been prepared for their new master by their communication with John the Baptist, and although they did not at once leave their jobs and follow him in the same way as they did later, they received impressions at their very first meeting that influenced and affected the rest of their lives. It does not seem that John the Baptist's disciples all began following Christ at once, but the best of them did so. Some troublemakers tried to excite envy in John the Baptist's mind by pointing out how his influence was being transferred to another, but they did not understand that great man, whose main cause of greatness was his humility. He answered them that it was his joy to decrease, while Christ increased, for it was Christ who, as the bridegroom, was to lead home the bride, while he was only the bridegroom's friend, whose happiness consisted in seeing the crown of festive joy placed on the head of another. John 3.25-30 With his newly attached followers, Jesus departed from the scene of John's ministry and went north to Cana in Galilee to attend a marriage to which he had been invited. Here he made the first display of the miraculous powers with which he had been endowed. He turned water into wine. It was a manifestation of his glory intended especially for his new disciples who, we are told, from then on believed on him. John 2, 1-11 This means, no doubt, that they were fully convinced that he was the Messiah. It was intended also to strike the keynote of his ministry as being completely different from that of John the Baptist. John was an ascetic hermit who fled from the dwellings of men and called his hearers out into the wilderness. Jesus, though, had glad tidings to bring to people's homes. He was to mingle in their common lives and produce a happy change in their circumstances, which would be like turning the water of their lives into wine. Soon after this miracle, Jesus returned again to Judea to attend the Passover, where he gave a still more remarkable proof of the joyful and enthusiastic mood in which he was then living by purging the temple of the sellers of animals and the money changers, 
who had introduced their commerce into its courts. John 2.13-17 These people were allowed to carry on their sacrilegious trade under the pretense of accommodating strangers, who came to worship at Jerusalem by selling them the animals that they could not bring from foreign countries. They also supplied, in exchange for foreign money, the Jewish coins in which alone they could pay their temple dues. However, what had been begun under the veil of a pious pretext had ended an extreme disturbance of the worship, and in elbowing the Gentile proselytes from the place that God had allowed them in his house. Jesus had probably often witnessed the disgraceful scene with indignation during his visits to Jerusalem, and now, with the prophetic zeal of his baptism upon him, he broke out against it. The same look of irresistible purity and majesty that had overpowered John when he sought baptism prevented any resistance on the part of the disgraceful group, and it made the onlookers recognize the characteristics of the prophets of ancient days before whom kings and crowds alike were inclined to cower. It was the beginning of his reformatory work against the religious abuses of the time. Jesus worked other miracles during the feast, which must have excited much talk among the pilgrims from every land who crowded the city. One result was to bring to his lodging one night the respected and concerned inquirer to whom he delivered the marvelous discourse on the nature of the new kingdom he had come to establish, and the way of entering it, which has been preserved to us in the third chapter of John. It seemed to be a hopeful sign that one of the heads of the nation would approach him in such a humble spirit, but Nicodemus was the only one of them on whose mind the first display of the Messiah's power in the capital produced a deep and favorable impression. We can clearly follow the first steps of Jesus up to this point, But this is when our information in regard to the first year of his ministry, after beginning with such fullness, comes to a sudden stop. For the next eight months, we learn nothing more about him except that he was baptizing in Judea, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, and that he made and baptized more disciples than John. John 4, 1-2 What can be the meaning of such a lack of information at this point? It is to be noted, too, that it is only in the fourth gospel that we receive even the details given above. The synoptists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, omit the first year of the ministry completely, beginning their narrative with the ministry in Galilee, and merely indicating in the most casual manner that there was earlier ministry in Judea. It is very difficult to explain all this. The most natural explanation would probably be that the events of this year were imperfectly known at the time when the Gospels were written. It would be quite natural that the details of the period when Jesus had not attracted much public attention would be much less accurately remembered than those of the period when he was by far the best-known person in the country. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke seemed to take little notice of what happened in Judea until the close of his life was near, it is to John that we are indebted to the connected accounts of his various visits to the south. John could hardly have been ignorant of the incidents of these eight months. 
we might be drawn to the explanation of the little-noticed fact that John provides, that for a time, Jesus took up the work of John the Baptist. He baptized by the hands of his disciples and drew even larger crowds than John. Must not this mean that he was convinced, by the small impression that making himself known at the Passover had made, that the nation was utterly unprepared for receiving him yet as the Messiah, and that what was needed was the extension of the preparatory work of repentance and baptism? Therefore, could it not be that, keeping his higher character in the background, he became for a time the colleague of John? This view is confirmed by the fact that it was upon John the Baptist's imprisonment at the end of the year that he fully opened his messianic career in Galilee. A still deeper explanation of the silence of the synoptists over this period, along with their meager notice of Christ's later visits to Jerusalem, has been suggested. Jesus came primarily to the Jewish nation, whose authoritative representatives were to be found at Jerusalem. He was the Messiah promised to their fathers. He was the fulfiller of the nation's history. He indeed had a far wider mission to the whole world. But he was to begin with the Jews, and he was to begin at Jerusalem. The nation, however, with its leaders at Jerusalem, rejected him. And so, he was compelled to establish his worldwide community somewhere else. This having become evident by the time the Gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke regarded his activity at the headquarters of the nation as a work that, to a great extent, had merely negative results. They therefore concentrated their attention on the period of his ministry when he was gathering the company of believing souls that was to form the nucleus of the Christian church. Whatever the reason, certainly at the end of the first year of the ministry of Jesus, the shadow of a terrible coming event had already fallen over Judea and Jerusalem. It was the shadow of that most offensive of all national crimes that the world has ever witnessed, the rejection and crucifixion by the Jews of their Messiah.